It's gotta be the books. My name is Kundwani Mwase. And the next episode is part two of It's Gotta Be the Shoes. If you haven't heard it already, I'd recommend you listen to part one, which featured Krista Inwajukin. We had a great conversation about women in basketball, coaching, and the love of the game. You can find that on our podcast library. For today, we turn our attention to the growth and impact of the sport internationally. It's got to be the shoes. No, can't be the shoes. We've done the shoes. Oh, so what is it now? It's got to be the books. Books? Yeah. It's got to be the books. Okay, 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 okay. So it's got to be... Oh, so what do I say again? The books. The books? Why would I say that? Good morning. Good day. Or... Good evening, and welcome to 54 Lights. This show is meant to shed light on undertold stories out of Africa. Our vision is to introduce you to some extraordinary people doing incredible things, and to ultimately change the lens through which African and Africans are seen. I must confess that Randy wasn't exactly the type of person I was expecting to meet. What I mean by that is, I somehow expected him to be a bit louder. He is, after all, an entrepreneur whose business it is to manage some high-profile figures who are in the NBA, a league that's becoming known for larger-than-life personalities. I imagine, without cause, that he too would have the same swagger and bombast that I'd expect from an NBA insider. I quickly realized that this was hardly the case. Instead, I met a young man who's poised yet confident, impressive without being offensive, and completely thoughtful. we spoke, I was impressed by how much care he took in his expressions. And while he's still figuring it out, there's no doubt in my mind that he'll accomplish all that he sets out to do. I'm sure you'll agree. Here, in part, is our conversation. My name is Randy O'Shea. Uh, I was born in Montreal, Quebec. 
I uh, moved to Toronto when I was four. Did a bunch of small jobs while playing basketball and in school. I got a basketball scholarship to uh, Brandon University, which is in Manitoba. I did one year there. Um, I ended up transferring to Laurier. Ended up transferring again to Durham College. Uh, three days before my first game, I broke my foot. Um, and breaking my foot, uh, I started questioning how much did I love this game because yeah. I was all over the place. Uh, so I was out for six weeks. Five weeks, they told me I was good. Uh, went back into practice. Third practice, broke my foot again. You're kidding me. Yeah. Same foot. Same foot. Same foot, same side, same everything. With all the injuries, I, I had to find a pivot. So I wanted to still be around the game. I started coaching. Uh, I started coaching with my old AAU program. And uh, they gave me like a team manager slash assistant coach role. So I have to, you know, uh, wash guys' laundry, book flights, hotels, um, make sure the jerseys were ready. I took stats. So I did that uh, for two summers. And after that summer, we had a kid that was going to the NBA, and he asked me to be his manager. Uh, no idea what that really was. Um, How old were you at that time? 22. Okay. 22 years old. Oh, so you're still young. Yeah, so 22, it's just... Love for the game and love for people kind of brought me to that point. And uh, he ended up getting drafted in the 2013 draft. Where I ended up moving to Cleveland, lived in Cleveland. He got traded to Minnesota the following year, lived in Minnesota. And then um, just being around him, I, I, I met a lot of different players. And I was like, okay, how do I continue to add value without taking away from what I'm currently doing? So I started reaching out to different brands, asking if I can intern for them and uh, connect their brand with players. And then the following year, my client left Minnesota and ended up playing for Toronto. And at that point, I started my company, uh, Rosé Management. Rosé Management, right. Yeah. And uh, under that, that was just kind of... I started for a couple of reasons. One, people always called me, hey, that's AB's guy, because I was working with him. But I was working with him and I was doing marketing for a brand and I was putting on events. I was like, well, I'm a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So let me kind of give this whole thing a name. So I just used my nickname, which was Rose at the time. And I, I, got, a, I got a question about the nickname. Where does that nickname come from? Uh, it actually came from high school. I was in high school. So my last name is actually Ose. So I think it was grade 12 or my fifth year in high school. Did, we had a supply teacher. For some strange reason, she would say your first initial and your first name, and then your last name all together. So she would say Rose, Rose. So people started making fun, and I was just like, it's not that funny. And then Rick Ross came out maybe six months later with Ricky Rose. I was like, oh, cool play on words. When it came to naming my company, I wanted it to be authentic, something that when you see it, you know it's it's Randy. If mm -hmm. you know me. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm really big on ensuring that our work speaks for itself. Yeah, since 2015 till now, I've been managing players to um, working with brands, to putting on events, to different strategies for marketing and PR. And uh, I went to school for sociology, so okay. I had no background in marketing whatsoever. But just or business. 
Nothing, nothing. Your family background, your father's Ghanaian? Or both my parents. Both, both my parents, parents are Ghanaian. Uh, they were both born there. My dad came here first in, I think, 85 or 86, and then my mom came in 89, okay. and I was born in 90. Uh, what do those roots mean to you? Everything. My dad, my dad, maybe two years ago, finally shared the story of how he got to Canada and how he literally landed in Montreal in 85 or 86 with nothing. He had a bag with some boxers and socks and moved to Mon got to Montreal as a refugee and figured out, figured it out, just figured it out. I always tell my friend, like, when I get older and hopefully you know, become successful, I want to write a book and call it Figure It Out. <laughs> I write a book and call it Figure It Out. Because to me, that's what life is about. You, know, uh, you can have problems or you can have solutions. And uh, figuring it out has always kind of been the mantra. So um, my dad sharing his story of how he got to Canada and you know, eventually sending for my mom. My mom ended up coming and you know, they put my sister just graduated from Carleton. She's about to go to med school. So just seeing how hard they've worked has kind of instilled this like nonstop pedigree to my skill work. Um, my dad himself is an entrepreneur. He was working at, at uh, UPS for a, a long time and he started a side business with Primerica. Just watching him, like, you're not getting paid for this. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? What is the point of this? I would always ask all those questions. My stepdad is a, uh, He's an entrepreneur as well. He owns his own crown moldings company. So for the longest time, I've had entrepreneurs around me. I just didn't know what it was called. And uh, watching them build and how they talk to customers or potential clients really um, resonated with me. Ghana is, is to me, was where life started. I went there for the first time in 2016. From that, I, I want to go back every year. Um, you've said a couple of things that I'm interested in, in finding out about. One is, you said, hopefully when I become successful. Mm -hmm. um, from an outsider, uh, I'd argue you're already there. So, <laughs> what is what does success mean to you then? Uh, success? <laughs> no, uh, to me, success is a, is a couple of things. Um, Rick Ross, going back to him again, he's, he's made this point that how many people you less is how you measure success. So that's a, a measurable uh, thing that I look at is how many people around me am I impacting to find their own success. I don't know. I think I'm still figuring it out. I mean, money is cool. Traveling is, is great. Um, being in different events and spaces with you know people that have a lot of money is cool. But uh, I think some of the plans that I have to, to give back to Toronto and uh, different communities uh, may kind of equal success, but a bunch of little things. Like, I want my mom to not be working anymore. I want to retire my mom. Right. To me, that is a form of success. So, yeah, there's no real... Yeah. I, I'm sorry, I can't answer No, that no, question, no. You know what? And I, I love the answer because I think that's the that's the truest answer in its form. Like, life is complex, right? Yeah. You, you're not just one person. You're right. not just one thing. So... Uh, I love that your your uh, the definition of success is not just one simple yeah. thing. Um, from what I've read about you, and from what you've just said, actually now, you have this like it seems like you have this sense of community. In in this world, in this age, a lot of people are like, "I'm looking out for me." Yeah. You don't do that. Um, 
think it's kind of how I was raised and where I was raised. I was raised in a metro housing community called Cataraki. So that's by like uh, Warden Station at Warden and St. Clair. And for the longest time, it's all I knew. And uh, I went back there a couple of weeks ago with my goddaughter. And it's her birthday today, actually. <laughs> um, I went there with her, with her mom and uh, her. And we just walked around. And her mom was like, wow, you lived here? Like, it, it was, it's, it's bad. Like, mm -hmm. it's not somewhere you really want to raise people. I'm like, yeah. Like, this community raised me and um, just growing up, you know, my mom was working two jobs. My stepdad was working X amount of hours. My, my parents really put in a lot of trust in our community to take care of us. So across from our backyard was this two old retired couple, uh, mama and papa. That's what we used to call them. They used to take care of me. Mm -hmm. And my sister, when my mom is at work, and they're they're white, right? But they lived in this community, and any way that they could help, they they did. Uh, my next door neighbor were Ethiopian, and when my parents couldn't uh, take care of me and my sister, we would go and stay with them. They would take care of us. So it's always just been this inclusion thing. Like, hey, we're doing this. You guys come along. Um, our neighbors to our other side. So we were 33. We had 31 and 29. 29 was a single mom and they had a daughter and their daughter would always stay at our house so it was always just this this feeling of i got your back and you got my back mm -hmm. and since you know growing up and um, just seeing different parts of the world and just kind of seeing where the world is going i didn't want to stray away from that um, because i mean we need each other yeah the way i look at life is yeah i can you know put together these deals and do all these great things with all these people that people admire. But when you, when I just want to, like when I die, I just want people to be like, yeah, he really cared about the person to his left and the person to his right. Cool. I, I want to be able to, I want people to speak about Randy Osei as someone that looked out for everyone that was around him. And that's why I push so hard when it comes to, you know, these social impact projects, whether it be the book and sneaker drive or, some of these events that we're doing to cater to different communities it's 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 bigger than me it's, it's not me it's i i've just been introduced to some information and to some resources and i'm trying to figure out different ways to give those resources to kids in toronto because right. when i look at my life i could have easily became a gangbanger or got involved in selling drugs because it was around me all the time mm -hmm. but because i had a passion and a love for basketball we want, I want to make sure that the next generation of kids have access to things that I didn't have access to. And I was able to figure it out to get to this point, yeah. right? Yeah. But there's, there's a lot of kids that don't, don't have the opportunity to get to this point or don't know where to turn to get to this point. Just through the growth of my own company and learning about how every company has social responsibility, you have to. Is that, is that where uh, the Books and Sneaker Project was born? So the Book and Sneaker Project was born on my first trip to, to Ghana. We, uh, first, first day I got there, I met my dad's stepmom. I met my dad's brother, or my dad's sister, whom I've never met before. And the first day I got there, they're like, yeah, let's pray. So we, we held hands, and I just started crying. And I don't know why, where that came from. Something just came over me, and tears just streamed down my face. 
but a part of me felt like I was home. And um, I was there for about 10 days, and each day we would go into the city and see different things. And every day I just saw kids in the streets selling water, selling plantain chips, selling clothes, selling just selling basic necessities. And uh, I was so moved. I'm like, no, you guys should be in school. So I came back home and I spoke with my best friend. I was like, yo, we got to do something. I don't know what, but we got to do something. So uh, I was like, why don't we collect shoes? Like, all right, cool. And he said, like, why don't we collect books? That makes sense. Education, athletics, education, and basic necessities, bring that together. Um, So at first, the book and sneaker drive was just a book and sneak. Let's just collect. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, how about we take it a step further and let's put on events for people to donate. So instead of just collecting, let's give in hopes that they give to us so that we can give to another part of the world. So that was kind of the, 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 the idea behind it. And once again, going back to figuring it out, I've never worked on a charity aspect. So a lot of it was Google. A lot of it was talking to people that I had met. How does this work? Figuring out how to ship the items, paying for the flights. Are we going to have a driver? Where are we going to eat? Like there's so many things that that went into place. But um, because I wanted to do it, I I figured it out. I got um, to, I like to figure it out because that, that, that seems to be like the right, the right theme. There's something that told you like, hey, I'm going, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. You know, I get asked that a lot. Um, nothing specifically happened, but I don't want to leave this earth and you know, wherever life takes me after death, be like, damn, I wish I would have tried this. Or I wish I would have at least given this a a piece of me. So from when I was about 19, anything that seemed like a good idea, I tried. I made like a a six song EP because I like music. I'm like, you know what, let me make songs. So I got my Blackberry, got my laptop. I would write the lyrics for my yeah, song. You composed it. Composed everything. it, recorded it, and it's just sitting there. Now it's not it's not gonna be a chart topping song, but I can say that you know what? I've tried this. Part of Rose management, we just shot a commercial for a client. Where did that come from? I didn't learn that in school. That was me trying and transferring those skills into something that's now paying. I think anybody who's, who's an entrepreneur has to have a little bit of hustle, hustle bone, hustle bug, whatever mm-hmm. in them. What pushes you to do that stuff? What pushes you to, 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 like, to make the EP? What pushes you to, to, to go shoot the, the video when you have no videography or yeah. you have no, um, no skills, no, no, no background? Yeah. Um, my parents, um, both of them being refugees. I speak to my mom all the time. I'm like, mom, like, She's a supervisor at Magnum. They make car parts. And there was one summer I worked with her Monday to Friday, every day. And I would come home so tired. And I'm like, I'm, I was like 19 at the time. And this lady is 40, whatever. And she comes home and she's fine. I'm like, how the hell can you do this every day? So that clicked. And then I had a conversation with her. I'm like, 
I know you're doing this now, but in a perfect world, like what would you be doing? I wanted to be in business. So because she didn't have that opportunity, that's what drives me. It's like I have the opportunity because she sacrificed. So let me, why waste my time or my talent or, or, or any resources that I've, I've come across and just be stagnant with it? Like if, if I'm not pushing the button, if I'm not doing things that are different, I'm wasting time. So because of my, my mom and my dad and where they are and what they've done and the sacrifice that they've made, it wouldn't be fair to them for me to just kind of be complacent. Their sacrifices kind of given me drive. There's, um, I always like to ask people this question, but um, if you had a chance to meet anybody in the world, living or dead even, who you consider your hero, I guess, who would it be? Oh, uh, there's a couple people. Um, Tupac would be one for sure, because he was revolutionary and as much as he was crazy and outlandish, the guy was smart yeah. as hell. Genius, actually, yeah. Genius. And to see that his dreams was cut short because of stupidity, who knows? Tupac may have been president one day. We don't know. Uh, what Tupac would you ask Tupac if you met him? Why are you like this? What do you do on a day-to-day? Like, and where does your creative process come from? Like, when are you the most creative? I just read somewhere like two days ago that the day he died, he had seven albums worth of music that was unreleased. What drove you to do that? Some people sign a one album record deal and get and paid a million dollars yeah. and they're done. Yeah. But you have seven just sitting there waiting. Up. <laughs> On top of the seven that you've already dropped yeah. or eight that yeah. you've already dropped and the awards that you've, you've touched on, I think... He was going to change the world and someone saw that and things got in the way and that went left. Um, another person I would love to talk to is Will Smith. Right? Will Smith came in as an actor and he diversified his portfolio. All of these people have kind of diversified their portfolio. Like Tupac came in as a dancer, he was a backup dancer to some group and he started rapping and he started acting and then he became an activist and then he passed away. Will came in as an actor uh, for TV and dabbled in music, became an actor. He's now an activist and he's doing so many great things. Why basketball? How did, what is it about basketball that drew you to that sport? I feel it's, it's very artful. It's very graceful. It's very, it's like dancing almost, you know, okay. being able to dribble. You're here, you're looking here, but your foot's going this way. I, I really, really enjoy the artistic um, feel that basketball brings and gives, giving black people the opportunity to be artistic. Um, I think that's the biggest piece because you look at guys like Steph Curry, like when you think, when I think athletics, I think of these big, strong, athletic, I can run really fast, jump really high, uh, very strong. And then you have guys that, like Steph Curry that, that can do amazing things. I think that's the diversity in basketball, that it, it's not just known for one culture. I, although it is predominantly black, there's a lot of different cultures that 
play basketball differently. Like European basketball is completely different from American or North American basketball. I just think basketball in terms of athleticism, IQ, creativity is the best sport in the world because it allows for so many different talents to speak to different parts of the game. Before we go on with Randy, I wanted to share some other views. If you remember, in part one of It's Gotta Be The Shoes, I asked a handful of people about their love affair with the game. They told us about their likes, dislikes, and overall experience with basketball. What follows are a few more perspectives on how the game's made an impact, if at all, on people's lives. Here, in very small part, are their viewpoints. Please stay on the line while your call is completed. Long distance charges may apply. I'm from Toronto, born and raised in Toronto. Are you a sports fan? Yeah, of course. Uh, in my current work-life balance, I, I, my time on my own is basically spent with my wife and then spent uh, watching or following sports to the detriment of the time with my wife. So <laughs> uh, one of the two always end up getting my time. Uh, quick question for you on that end, then. What is your favorite sport? Uh, when I'm reallocating my time, I'm a basketball guy through and through. I would describe myself as a basketball junkie. I'll watch random college games. I'll watch as many rapper games as I can get. Um, I'll watch the odd Bucks. Uh, the Bucks are a good team right now, so I can't really use that. But if there's an exciting NBA game on, regardless of the teams, I'll find a way to watch it. And I uh, just love being around the game and watching the game as much as I can. Did you did you play basketball? Yeah, so I played pretty competitively growing up. I played uh, high school ball. I went to Forest Hill for high school. My year, we went to city championships in Toronto. Played rep basketball, so um, that's kind of the like AAU program within Ontario. Um, the team that I played for, we were ranked number one in the province in our last year. And I'm Jewish as well. I played in a thing called the Maccabi Games, which is a kind of like the Jew, the Jewish Olympics. Mm -hmm. um, so I played in Brazil and I played in the Junior Jewish Olympics, uh, the Junior Maccabi Games growing up in, uh, in Israel. I, I got to ask you this question. Why basketball versus, I don't know, soccer, uh, football? Like it's not, it doesn't seem to me like you could not have played those sports. Yeah, no, I just gravitated towards it as a kid. Uh, maybe the culture of it got me interested. Maybe my father uh, kind of pushed me towards it without me knowing as a young kid. You know, I would shoot hoops in and around the, my backyard, you know, with those classic hoops against the backyard and the driveway for hours upon hours, playing fake one-on-one -on -one games, um, and uh, just gravitated towards the game. And develop lifelong relationships through the game and uh and that's uh, certainly been a passion point of mine um you mentioned before how you played like in israel as well is uh, basketball really big in israel yeah so uh israel's certainly a good team and if you look at the good european teams some of the best teams are coming out of israel 
Maccabi Tel Aviv is a very famous team that had a ton of former NBA players, such as, if you recall, Anthony Parker on the Toronto Raptors. I'm yeah. pretty sure he won the league MVP three years in a row, and he came from Maccabi Tel Aviv. Um, so I don't know if it's been as good of a club lately, but basketball in Israel is a massive sport, as it is in other European countries, right? You see Spain always has a good team. We see France has had a good team in previous years. So, And, and what do you attribute that to, like the spread of the sport? So, so if you look at like what, what's been some of the rises in international basketball, right? The number one thing that people look towards is the 1992 Olympics, that first stream team that came to Barcelona that really like showcased uh, NBA talent to the world. And I think that there's just been a steady growth from there because it's such an easy game to pick up from a financial perspective. Really, all you need is shoes, a ball, and a hoop, and some decent weather. Um, and then additionally, I think that the stars of basketball, the Michael Jordans, the LeBrons, or the Kobe's, it's such a in-your-face sport. Um, there's, there isn't a mask or a helmet uh, blocking your view of that person that you're able to really connect with the athletes. And I think that, that's, uh, that that connection with the NBA athlete has really propelled basketball to what I believe is the fastest-growing sport in the world next to next to soccer. There's a there's a bit of bravado and macho uh, machoism in, in, in basketball, whether it be men men or women playing. Do you do you carry yourself with that bravado, or or do you not? Uh, are you sort of a, a quieter on the court? So as I said, I haven't unfortunately been able to play basketball in let's call it uh, seven or eight years due to ankle surgeries. But uh, I would rec- I would imagine that my basketball persona is very similar to someone like a Kyle Lowry. I was never the most athletic guy. I was always a smart player that used my body in the right way, in the most effective way. I would always be working on teammates, coaching teammates on the floor, working reps, uh, but more than more than anything, just having fun on the floor. I would always have a smile. I'd always be talking to someone um, and, and using, I would say, craftiness to get by rather than sheer athleticism. Please stay on the line while your call is completed. Long distance charges may apply. My name is Patrice Alexander. I'm born and raised in Toronto. Love the game of basketball, playing. Um, grew up watching, always watching UNF today. I actually have a, I have a, a show that I do for um, NBA TV um, that's kind of centered around, centered around like uh, barbershop talk. So guys that come in and talk sports, you know, or the game of basketball while they're getting haircuts in the barbershop setting, you know? Interesting. Um, I mean, the game has changed over the years so much. Um, I still love the game of basketball. Do I like the direction that, that basketball is taking? Not necessarily. It just kind of pushed me over to the NFL. Take it down to Game Seven. You got a chance to Game Seven NBA Finals or the Super right. Bowl. Oh, Super Bowl! I, I get, stop right there, man. <laughs> Super Bowl, man. Yeah, stop right there. Stop, stop right there, man. That last voice you heard was from Patrice from Forum Barbershop. You've heard from him before, and a uh, bit of a teaser here, but you'll hear from him again.
Art or business? Are you are you an artist or are you an entrepreneur? I'm, if Wait. I had to pick, yeah, you had to pick business, business, business. There's a movie that's going to be made five years from now, ten years from now. Who's playing Randy? Well, first, it'll be called "Figure It Out." Figure it out. I was gonna. That was gonna. That, that was gonna be my last question. Uh, you got it. Who would play me? Like an actor right yeah. now? Yeah. I gotta give it to Michael B. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. So there you have it. The conversation continues. I'd like to thank all my guests for their participation and candor. Remember, you can find us wherever you do your listening. iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or even YouTube. Just search for 54 Lights. Listen, like, share. Music for this episode was composed, enjoyed, and used with permission by Anjo. Until we meet again. Thanks for listening. Terrific tiger. <laughs> oh, terrific tigers.